morning there and welcome to Driving Theology. This is Mike and I need to apologize. I haven't posted some of my uh, recent uh, recordings. Uh, well, there haven't been too many. I, I have been uh, off my normal schedule for the last couple of weeks. Uh, but before that, there's even a few, a few episodes that I did not post. Uh, some of them because I just don't have a lot of confidence in them and, and a few of them uh, whoa! Right, my guitar just slipped. Uh, some of them actually, I think I, I think were decent, but you know, none of them were uh, just uh, begging me to 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 get online, <laughs> if you know what I mean. And maybe that's just a uh, what happens when you've been doing something like this. Uh, we're close to our, I think we're. We're knocking on the door of 90 somewhere, 90 podcasts uh, in about two and a half years, I guess, a little over two years. And, uh, you know, I suppose at some point I'll run out of stuff to talk about. You would think. Um, but I'm still here. <laughs> I still pushed record. And so, uh, yeah, I'm just going to talk about some things that have been happening with me, uh, and like always, try to tie them into some kind of spiritual uh, direction or um, truths that I may see happening within that, within my experiences. Uh, one thing that happened this last week was a, a dear friend of mine, Judith, uh, brought uh, four of her friends and colleagues from... Uh, a congregation in Canada to come and do a, a short-term to come and do a short-term mission trip uh, here in Japan and I've known Judith many years uh, probably going on something like 15 years uh, she's both uh, been a short-term missionary a long-term missionary uh, and a vocational missionary when, when, she, te- when she taught uh, English in my school. Uh, and aside from that, just, just a friend, uh, a good all-around uh, sister uh, in Christ. And uh, yeah, I love her dearly, appreciate her. And uh, she continues to just uh, work. She does work. She's a worker. Um, and so she's led this group here, uh, none of whom I believe have been to Japan, but really good, uh, group of people. Um, I say the ages run from thirties, forties, fifties, and somebody I think's in their seventies. Um, so I think, yeah, one in the thirties, one in the forties, one with, with, But anyway, fifties <laughs> uh, and yeah, seventies. We may have skipped sixties. Um, yeah, just a really good, great group of people. Um, Judith and then two guys and two girls. Uh, three of the five are in full-time ministry. Uh, the ladies uh, and the two guys are, uh, I guess I would say, lay leaders or uh, members of the church. I'm not sure exactly what they do. I know one leads a small group. Uh, just a really interesting group of people. And uh, 
They come from a very large congregation in Canada of something like four to 5,000 members. Um, we'd call it mega church. Um, and if you've listened to my podcast right off the bat, you, you'd probably assume that there's some red flags that go up with me and people that come from a background like that. And in a sense, you'd be right. Uh, I think the one of the things that gives these guys uh, a little bit more grace with me uh, is that they're attached to Judith. And Judith uh, was one of the people that got me involved uh, in uh, fresh expressions of church. A church that, that uh, doesn't look like, um, you know, a traditional... Uh, traditional church. Uh, she's one of the ones that, uh, along with another uh, person, kind of got me thinking uh, outside the box on things spiritual. And uh, so I respect her regardless uh, of whether she's in a mega church right now or not. Uh, I know her heart and I know that, um, that she uh, is, in a, is in a good place. Um, what she's trying to learn and do, and, and, and uh, she's always got a heart for other people. So, anyway, uh, I really enjoyed these this, this group of five, and uh, they came to our gathering at my house on Friday, and that was great. We had some other friends that came as well, uh, shared a meal together, a good conversation, uh, sang some songs and uh, yeah it was a, it was a really good time very good time um, but on their last day which was this last Monday of being with us uh, we sat down and we're having some conversations and they had brought a several books to give as gifts to people and uh, it was interesting um, because I'm, I'm very picky on who I read uh, about things spiritual or theological. And there are some people that, that people in the traditional church would, would respect right away that I kind of shy away from. Um, maybe even have a bit of a prejudice against. I'll have to gauge that. But one of the books that came up was a John Piper book. <laughs> and and uh, I've I'm not a fan, not a big fan. And in fact, that's exactly how I put it to them. I'm just not a fan of John Piper, and they were all shocked. And so I could see right away that probably their preacher quoted John Piper heavily. Uh, and and then you can also kind of see the direction that their theology. Uh, in their church goes, and so that that initiated a long conversation uh, on uh, all things spiritual and theological, and it was you know very randomly uh, just just a bunch of random topics because it's such a deep uh, and broad topic for me. Um, if, if you've got a finite finite amount of time, especially. You know, I've got to get to class in, in an hour or so. It just was hard to, you know, to get much in. But we, we kind of hit the hits and had some great conversation. Uh, 
for three or four of us. And uh, it's pretty interesting. Sorry, I'm sipping my coffee. Oh. Hmm. So, yeah, that happened. And uh, I'm not sure how those people feel about me now. Uh, I know the older uh, gentleman, Archie, uh, probably I, I fell a few notches in his, uh, in his uh, view um, because I don't believe in things like eternal conscious torment uh, and uh, all of the things that, all the other things that may tie into that uh, about the theology of hell, the theology of uh, um, penal substitution and, and all of this stuff. Uh, not to mention, um, you know, having a robust theology on not just salvation, but also the kingdom kingdom of God in the world today and what does that look like and what does that mean and what uh, what is our part in it which in a nutshell is what I believe is lacking in most evangelical uh, circles is a robust theology of the kingdom <clears throat> and I'm working on having one of those myself uh, so basically what I see uh, as having happened is that at some point um, maybe as as uh, the Enlightenment hit and we became very interested in the individual rights of mankind uh, a fierce individualism entered into uh, our uh, religious religious institutions and that sparked uh, the uh, personal salvation, the the you know claiming Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the Lord of Lord of your life, and, and all of these kinds of threads that came out of the Enlightenment and went through the uh, the uh, Restoration movement, uh, as well as other evangelical circles, uh, and I'd say Southern Baptists are probably uh, on the top of the list of groups who have propagated uh, this theology, the theology of personal salvation um, and uh, personal experience with Christ. Uh, and it's not that that doesn't exist in Scripture. I think there is a personal aspect of, of what happens uh, with an individual when they encounter uh, Jesus um, but that doesn't mean we have to ignore uh, the the other <laughs> uh, which is that there is a kingdom that Jesus brought to the world that is to be uh, Jesus to the world today and now and, and Jesus not only uh, was about helping people find salvation. He was also about healing them uh, and rescuing them from their current situation, not just spiritual, uh, physical as well. Uh, and and this this kind of goes back to uh, Greek thought. Um, I can't remember if it's 
uh, I believe it's Platonic thought, in that everything physical is considered suspect and corrupt, and that the only the only pure substance uh, that exists is the spiritual, and that and so the the physical is is bad and the spiritual is good. Uh, and that is um, very much a part of religious life today, uh, I believe, in the West. Uh, everything physical is suspect. Everything is tainted by sin. And, and the way that plays out is that uh, we will be we will be purified eventually, well now and in the future, uh, some be people believe through baptism or just through uh, belief in Jesus, um, uh, and then we will remain spirit and we will, we will go to a spiritual place called heaven, and then our, our existence that continues after this, this corrupt physical life will be a spiritual one. Uh, and that everything physical will be burned up in the fire. That that will all be done away with. And here's the thing: if you if you already believe that, if you already have that Greek thought in your uh, in your um, in view, uh, then it's easy to see the Bible back up that stuff. So if you already believe that. Uh, the spiritual is good, the physical is bad, the spiritual will last forever, the physical will be destroyed in fire, or something like that. If you believe that, yes, you'll see evidence of that in Scripture. Um, because there are all kinds of metaphors uh, and uh, other uh, literary devices used all, all throughout Scripture to to get, get a point across. Um, and if you take all of those at face value, and again, you believe in this uh, physical-spiritual dichotomy, then it, you can find evidence for that. However, however, we know uh, that Paul says Jesus was the firstborn um, from the dead. So he's the first of many that will be reborn from death back to life, and he's referring to his resurrection, right? Um, now, if you're, if you want to have Gnostic tendencies, the, the, the Gnostics believe, and Gnosticism believes the same thing, that the spiritual uh, is good, the physical is bad, and that Jesus did not rose, did not rise in physical bodily form, but he rose in spiritual form, that that he was uh, seen, but he couldn't have been touched, for example, or anything like that. Uh, however, the Bible tends to paint a different picture, that, that Jesus rose physically, and in fact, the, the wounds that he received during his crucifixion were evident in his glorified, risen, physical body. Uh, and I believe he even ate food. Right? He even ate with the disciples at different times. He walked with them. He talked with them. Uh, they didn't notice that he wasn't human. Uh, he 
did a lot of things in, in this resurrected, glorified physical body uh, that, that help us realize uh, that it was a physical body. Um, not the least of which is Thomas actually touching his wounds. So, yeah. So this gives us evidence that we will, that, that, the, that the physical will not be done away with, but that it will be perfected into a new glorious uh, manifestation which combines the, the purity of the spirit with the original idea of creation uh, that Yahweh put into mankind. And so Jesus becomes the firstborn of this new kind of body. It's a body in which the, the physical does not battle with the spiritual because sin has been defeated in it. Right? Uh, and so a friend of mine, uh, Johnny, who's been on this podcast a few times, uh, he, he likes to say that that Jesus is still in a human body, that, that once he was incarnated, he was incarnated forever, forever to be with us in human form uh, as God, um, which is, you know, just quite interesting to think about Jesus is still in his, in his physical body somewhere. And that somewhere usually is referred to as on, on a throne in heaven somewhere. Um, and of course he's in us. His spirit is, is in us, right? Uh, and he's not limited. You know, Jesus was not limited uh, in what the physical body could do as our bodies are limited. For example, we know that he appeared to more than 500 people at one time. Uh, we know that he was able to appear and disappear. Um, and yet his body still had some of the same physical characteristics that his body had while he was alive. Um, perhaps some of the, wound, the wounds or scars or whatever. Um, and interestingly enough, those physical wounds or scars or the appearance of our body does not seem to constitute corruption. But that's not the corruption. The physical appearance of our body is not the corruption uh, that needs to be dealt with. Right? Um, which is interesting to me. Um, so, so this, going back to evangelicalism, uh, if if you believe that the physical is bad, that, that everything that exists which is uh, of matter and contained in time and space, that all of that will be destroyed completely and that the existence, existence that uh, proceeds from there will be a spiritual-only existence. Well, then you have a certain way of looking at the world, don't you? This worldview uh, has changed. So instead of uh, being a person with a robust kingdom theology where uh, they are trying to bring healing to the world they see, uh, whether that's the, the, the actual physical earth itself, 
which comes across sometimes in uh, global activism, uh, environmentalism, right? Uh, the green and eco-friendly movements. Uh, or whether it comes through the people who are trying to eradicate poverty uh, or disease uh, or social injustice, uh, racism, prejudice, all of these things. Uh, those are also part of a robust kingdom theology uh, because Jesus Jesus was seen to do the same you know these are these this is the way he moved in the world his 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 way of thinking of the world was not well no reason to, to fix her because she'll be <coughs> excuse me it's allergy season here in Japan. Uh, no reason to, to heal her because, you know, her physical body will die anyway. And the faster she dies, uh, the quicker she can receive her perfect spiritual existence. You know, if, if that was the case, then why not just do it all at once and, uh, and, and be done with it? But we don't see Jesus acting that way in the world. We don't see his actions reflecting uh, this kind of a worldview. Just the opposite. His worldview was one of, uh, yes, I, I wish you believed in me, but you know, let's take care of your physical ailments. Let's let's uh, make sure you've got food. Um, let let's give you all you need physically, and let's let's take care of your physical existence, uh, and just perhaps you will find salvation through that. You know. Um, but there are two levels of salvation that we see in Jesus that we don't really see oftentimes. Uh, and that is the salvation from your physical predicament now. Whether that's uh, all of the things I just listed. Uh, as well as an assurance that you will uh, be with Jesus for eternity. Jesus' gift of eternal life is important. Um, but Jesus' gift of healing in the earth today is also, also very important. Uh, and what we have today is one or the other. We've got leftist Christians who, who uh, are about nothing but social activism. And then we have Christians on the right who are just about getting their beliefs and uh, rituals in line and to do those perfectly and leave the rest, uh, you know, to decay and rot and eventually destroy itself. Uh, why can't we have something in the middle, which is where I believe Jesus came into the picture. He entered into the center of all of this. Um, the church today, uh, by the grace of Jesus, I believe is rediscovering a more robust kingdom theology, um, and it's taken a while. You know, there there are uh, there's a lot still to be done about all of that, um, and I hope and pray uh, that that will be taken care of. Um, sorry, I just went through a speed trap. Police are out. <laughs> checking speeds, I guess. Um, and yes, I was speeding a bit. 
car in front of me slowed me down. Thank you, uh, Suzuki Wagon R. Um, so, yeah. And this is the problem I have with Piper because I see John Piper, and, and I'm not an expert on Piper, okay? So if I'm wrong about this, um, by all means, point it out and, and let me know. Uh, and I will commit to getting a book by Piper, uh, a recent book, to try to get a, a better idea of just where he is on all this. But I see Piper and a few other people uh, have it, um, as being the uh, quintessential evangelical um, voices today. Piper, quite a loud one. Uh, and he continues to propagate this, the same sentiment, right? The same sentiments uh, of traditional evangelicalism, which, uh, interestingly enough, is not traditional. It's only 100 or 200 years old. Uh, before then, there was a much more uh, robust theology, I believe. Um, much more... Um, kingdom theology. Uh, and this all ties into, as well, the accusation of a recent book that I'm reading that evangelicalism is and has been anti-intellectual. Uh, and, and I've been guilty of that, right? I've been guilty of thinking uh, that Christians don't really need to think as much as they need to trust. Uh, and here again, you've got the right or the left, right? And the right people say, no, you just need to think. Uh, you just need to You just need to do things by blind faith, right? Uh, you, you, you just need to uh, do all the right things and then just, just trust that you'll be good, right? <coughs> Excuse me. Ugh. And then on the left, you've got, you know, the opposite uh, end of the spectrum. Um, but again, why can't we come in the middle of that? Why, why can't we be, be both, both thinking and trusting? Um, and I think that gets us a lot farther uh, with what the scriptures and because of that, what Jesus is wanting to say to us. Um, try to let this lady go. Is there space? Oh, thanks for the coffee break. So, yeah, this is this is where my conversation led us, and it, it went to places of, uh, you know, talking about uh, the cross, and you know, if if you know, I, I let them know that I'm a, a hopeful universalist. I believe that that everybody will have multiple chances. That Jesus will pursue everyone uh, until he 
hopefully gathers each one under his wings, whether those are uh, uh, people who he finds in this life uh, or in the next. I think he'll continue to, to, to pursue people. And any ideas that we have of hell, I think, um, are referring to people who, uh, in the next life, well, actually in this life too, uh, living this life of uncertainty, living this life of, uh, without faith and without hope for their future, uh, without a hope that, that Jesus loves them, that they are unconditionally loved, uh, I think, I think create a hell for people, uh, where they see their demise as imminent and nothing after that. And, and for me, if I were to come to that conclusion today, I, I believe that would be hell for me. Uh, because I would have to, you know, suddenly it would be all about only uh, what I've accomplished in this life. My, my, my legacy would be super important, right? Um, because that would be all there is. Uh, but I'm, I'm peaceful today, more peaceful than ever at, at any rate, that Jesus' legacy in the world, leggy, Jesus' legacy in the world uh, is secure, uh, and that his legacy will be felt through, throughout eternity, no matter what I do. Now, the good thing is this kingdom, this more robust kingdom theology means that I get to help people allevi alleviate their suffering in this world now, right? I get to help help that. I get to, to help people when they fall down to get back up. I, I get to, to, to pray for their healing. Uh, I get to comfort them in their loss. Uh, I get to feed them when they're hungry clothe them when they're naked. I can, I can help bring them suffering in this life. And in so doing, the kingdom goes forward. The kingdom expands, right? Uh, and also in so doing, they see the love of Christ, which manifests itself in us. <laughs> A lot of what Jesus was warning people about, about the, the what we call uh, end of times theology or, or uh, um, eschatology, right? A lot of people have assumed that his eschatology was end of times things, but I believe now, more than ever, that a lot of what he was saying pertained to the coming destruction of Jerusalem. And when he weeps for Jerusalem, he's weeping because he knows in a short amount of time, in fact, some people will still be alive when it comes, who were there in the audience that day, uh, that when it comes some 30 to 40 years after that, uh, that it would be apocalyptic, you know, it would be horrible, uh, that, that so many people would suffer and die, the, the innocent, the young, uh, as well as the old. Uh, and we know that that happened when the 
Romans came and destroyed Jerusalem in AD 70. Um, so it just depends on, yes, it was prophecy, but, but did it already come true? Or, or, or are we still waiting for this to come, right? How much of, of what's said in the Bible had a much shorter shelf life than we realize? Now, I'm not an expert on that, so, but I know there's, that the possibility exists, and I know that smarter people than me uh, believe that. Um, and so I'm at least open to the possibility. Uh, and of course, if, you, if you're taking uh, eschatological uh, comments at face value and their destructive, uh, violent nature, um, I can see where you may be holding out for a, a an end of times like that. But I think you know the the other the other truth is that change is painful. Uh, change can feel, at least emotionally, um, like all hell is breaking loose. Uh, and I've experienced that, and I know other people have experienced that through sometimes loss or abandonment, uh, through hardship such as uh, you know sudden. Uh, sudden onset of, of poverty, loss of uh, livelihood, things like this, um, can really literally rock your world. And it seems like all hell is breaking loose. You know, you, you, I've been listening to this uh, guy named Peterson. He's a psychologist. Uh, but he talks about how uh, when your ordered world is suddenly uh disordered and thrown into somewhat of a chaos, whether that's your schedule or whatever, uh, that is one of the triggers of uh, depression, right? When, when the world uh, that we see and that we think we know, that we have put into slots and boxes and identified and put borders on, when it doesn't conform to our preconceived ideas and it feels like the rug is pulled out from under us well that is a trigger toward depression uh, and worse things right and so all of you know a lot of these things and a lot of these images in the Bible they're not wrong they just may be figurative and not literal uh, and again, anti-intellectualism tells you you have to take everything in the Bible at face value. You have to take it literally, right? Uh, you can't figure it out. You, you take it as it is or you're in danger of blasphemy, basically. You take it at face value or you might be uh, accused of being a false prophet. And fears such as these... Uh, have kept uh, intelligent Christians from thinking in the, in the realms of Christianity for a long time. And I hope that I'm no longer one of them. I pray. Well, that was kind of a meandering... <laughs> Uh, podcast 
uh, we'll see how it goes. I'd love to hear your opinions and uh, uh, ideas and thoughts and concerns even of uh, what I've said. And thank you for those of you who have done that because you helped me refine my own thoughts uh, and uh, sometimes even change them, change my opinions um, on things. And I am often wrong. In fact, probably wrong as often as I'm right. The question is, is that a wrong or a right statement? <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, I'm going to let you guys go. Yep. Um, great talking to you. It's been a little longer of a podcast than normal, I think. Not sure why, but, uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, I'll try to get those other podcasts up. And in the meantime, uh, keep trusting, but, but keep thinking. Peace.